Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 275 of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this special 2023 year in review episode, plus a fun preview of 2024, where we take a glance back through the last calendar year, using the power of both raw data and fuzzy feelings to understand the trajectory of this audio project we've been on together since I launched it back in 2017, and of course, to make some projections about the future as we forge our way forward into the new year. Longtime listeners will know that I like to share some of the key analytics pertaining to downloads and other metrics, but these year-end summaries are about much more than just that. Like your traditional, this year is ending, next year is about to begin, mindset, it's a space where I can, I don't know, sort of think out loud about what I've managed to get done in the last calendar year and set some goals and projections that will guide the course for the year to come. But... Before we get too far into the weeds here with number crunching and dream boarding, let's take a brief pause so that you can make yourself a drink. Inspired by the college football bowl games that happen after the holidays, often involving key football rivalries, this episode's featured cocktail is the Army and Navy. To make it, you'll need two ounces of gin. A London dry style will work just fine in this cocktail. Three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice, one half to three quarters of an ounce of orgeat, which is a spiced almond syrup commonly used in tiki drinks, two dashes of aromatic bitters, and an optional one or two drops of saline solution. Come on, the drink has navy right in the name. You know you wanna put that salt water in there. Combine the ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give everything a good hard shake until the contents are well chilled and properly diluted, then strain into a stemmed cocktail glass, garnish with an expressed lemon twist, and enjoy. The Army and Navy cocktail first appeared in David Embury's 1948 book, The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks, which as an aside has been popping up quite a bit during these featured cocktail segments, so it might warrant a deep dive at some point in the future, but there's no consensus as to when precisely the drink was invented. The name seems to derive from the Army and Navy Club right here in Washington, D.C., but it's also a possible allusion to the long-standing football rivalry between the two branches of the armed forces. After all, we know how much people like to make special drinks for annual sporting events. Flavor-wise, the real noteworthy thing about this cocktail is the wide disagreement about its proper sweet to sour proportions. Embry is very open about the fact that it was originally a two to one to one drink with a full ounce each of lemon juice and orgeat. This, he says, was vile, which prompted him to adjust the ratios radically to eight to two to one. So that's two ounces of gin, a half ounce lemon juice, and a quarter ounce only of orgeat. The formulation I provided earlier is Simon Difford's attempt to strike a balance between the original spec and Embry's seemingly extreme reaction. But ultimately, I think your ideal Army and Navy cocktail is going to contain two ounces of gin, 
a sub one ounce amount of lemon juice and a fractionally sub that amount of orgeat. Everybody has different relationships with sweet and sour and your mileage may vary. So now that you've learned another classic cocktail complete with its controversial backstory, let's jump straight into our review of 2023 by the numbers. This past year, many of you will have noticed that a new publishing schedule has taken over. Instead of the weekly schedule that I maintain for the first four years or so of the podcast, we dropped down to pretty much bi-weekly or twice monthly for our publishing rate. This is primarily due to two factors. First is that I'm the proud father of a two-year-old and I happily fill the role of daddy daycare during the week, which I mean, let's face it, has cut into my ability to record just a teensy bit. So while my days are filled with giggles and growth milestones and, I mean, my favorite part, snack time, it has made my scheduling process feel a little bit like performing the high dive into a thimble. The second reason for this slight diminishment in publishing rate has more to do with the long, complicated process of shutting down the commercial aspects of modern bar cart, namely our line of cocktail bitters and our wholesale and e-commerce sales streams. Everyone out there will tell you how complicated it can be to start a business, but you know what? Not nearly as many folks take the time to explain how difficult it can be to shut one down. So clear through the end of this past October, just a couple months ago, I was hustling, trying to wrap things up, liquidate inventory, and jump through a bunch of fun tax and regulatory hoops. So with all that going on, I knew publishing four, or let's face it, even three episodes per month was probably going to be a major stretch for me. And from the start, as soon as I saw this all coming down the road, I made what I think is an important and on-brand for me decision, which was to opt for quality over quantity. I'm very proud of the interviews we put out in the last calendar year. We've been graced with insights from some truly innovative minds in the spirits and cocktail space, from the world-renowned mixologist Ryan Chathia-Wardena to yeast and fermentation expert Faye Johnson to agave advocate Gary Nabhan, and many more besides. But before I slide entirely into the qualitative side of things here, let's take a quick peek at these numbers. This past year, we published a total of 27 episodes, which puts us at a rate of a little over two episodes per month. Compared to the 39 episodes we published the previous year in 2022, that represents a publishing frequency dip of about 31%. But here is the little ray of sunshine in these numbers that has me smiling. Despite that 31% decrease in publishing, we only had a 21% decrease in downloads, which sit at around 55,000 for 2023 compared with the 70,000 we recorded in 2022. So when I zoom out and truly get a sense of the health of the podcast, I'm really pleased that our downloads seem to be up about 10% year over year, again, adjusted for that decrease in publishing, which is the same organic growth rate that I've been tracking since 2017. It's really consistent, kind of in a creepy way, 10% month over month, year over year. I don't pay a dime to advertise the show. There are no modern bar cart billboards or paid placements. 
That 10% is just people who are curious about spirits and cocktails and who find a home with our guests and with the topics we discuss. So 10% might not sound like a whole lot of growth to you, but to me, it's like hearing the same steady heartbeat that's kept me going since the very beginning. The other number I'm happy to report isn't well, it's not quite a hard number at all, mostly because I don't have a way of easily tracking it without sifting through months worth of emails. But I'm also pleased to report that dozens of you, dozens of real people with real lives and careers and stuff, dozens of people have reached out to me to subscribe to the Modern Bar Cart Community Discord specifically for the purpose of grabbing that sweet, free industry promo that we had for Jordan Hughes's cocktail camera e-course. The goal of the Discord community was and remains to add more value to our body of listeners, so it was really gratifying to me that so many of you took advantage of that free e-course. It was really cool to watch because it was literally, it, it just felt like I was giving out stuff for free, and I don't get that feeling a lot. So yeah, I'm hoping to do more of that. Ultimately, before I dug into the numbers here, yeah, I did brace myself a bit, knowing that my publishing frequency had dropped and that I wouldn't be able to throw around a bunch of real sexy download stats to impress you with this year. But I'm very grateful that the numbers, though ultimately diminished, still reveal a robust and vital core of listeners who continue to derive value from the show. That's what matters to me. That's what keeps me coming back and putting out content for you. So it's great to see that even in a year when I knew the numbers might not, just might not give me that little ego boost that they have in the past. But let's get to what we all wanna know. What does the way forward look like in 2024? What can we get excited about for this year? Well, first, let me tell you that after a hectic end to 2023, I have some solid recording time coming up, and I've been busy getting folks scheduled to come on the show. Right off the bat, one guest I'm super fired up about is Kevin Peterson, or I guess I should say Dr. Kevin Peterson, because he's got a fancy PhD. He came on the show way back in episode 120. That's back in the year 2020, to talk about flavor, olfaction, and his fragrance slash cocktail fusion concept in Detroit called Sfumato, that's the fragrances, and Castalia Cocktails, that's the cocktail bar by night. Well, Kevin's been busy. He's about to launch what I feel is a pretty groundbreaking book called Cocktail Theory, A Sensory Approach to Transcendent Drinks, and I have to say that the preview he sent me is wild. This is some serious nerd stuff cranked to 11. It's got diagrams, it quantifies and operationalizes things that we tend to write off as squishy or hard to measure in the cocktail world, like why certain drink formats are kind of flexible, while others are fairly rigid in their ideal ratios and proportions. So if you have any questions about nerdy, scientific, off-the-wall sensory stuff when it comes to cocktails, then I hope you'll hit me up so that Kevin and I can address them during our interview, which will take place in the next week or two. By the time this episode is live, I should have our call for questions thread also live on the Discord channel. So if you're a member of that free and easy to join group, you can go ahead and just leave your questions in that thread. Another topic I'm interested in for 
2024 is the intersection of spirits, cocktails, and that buzzword, artificial intelligence. I know I'm coming dangerously close to being trendy and not in the fun way with this fascination, and that's a bad look for me. But it's a topic I've been pondering and following closely for like the last year now, and I think there's a lot to be said about both the potential use cases and the serious risks and limitations that AI can have in this very diverse industry. Remember, flavor is a very emotional sense, and I'm personally skeptical that we can ever really make much progress with these large language models and other AI algorithms that will be able to replace a human palate and a human brain. But also, I'm hoping there are some AI experts who might try to prove me wrong on this. So if you have anything to add to this conversation, go ahead, ping me on whatever email or social media platform you please. I'll be happy to take input about how to set up any boozy AI episodes that I record here in this early part of 2024. When it comes to travel and events, I'll have a few great opportunities to record this year. The first is going to be in March when I head to the West Coast to judge spirits again for the American Distilling Institute's International Spirits Competition. And the next will be in August when their annual conference and trade show heads to Baltimore right here in my neck of the woods. So you can count on some excellent conversations. Going to try and set up some stuff in our in, during our off time with people who I don't always get to hang out with. But... I will also be trying to do some behind the scenes looks at panels and seminars that are normally reserved for people who are real industry pros and insiders. So as always, I call this an opportunity for folks to kind of peer over the curtain and see what the industry folks are saying about the rest of us when they think they're not listening. There are a few other events and interviews that I'm still trying to firm up, so I can't share them out to the world just yet. But as always, if you have interview requests or want to propose a topic for the show, you can always email me at podcast at modernbarcart.com. Before I play us out of this New Year retrospective slash preview episode with a really fun snippet from a podcast I recently recorded a few weeks ago for another show, I do want to share with you one last update that for me is pretty, pretty big. It's my pleasure to announce that my next major step in the world of spirits, cocktails, and hospitality is as the principal consultant at Direct Fire Consulting, a service I'm launching to help distillers, spirits brands, and cocktail programs, and hey, any other liquid ventures out there to achieve their business goals. This is a logical evolution of all the work I've done with spirits and cocktail education over the years, and it allows me to funnel all the different spokes of my work, from the podcast to sensory training to spirits judging to cocktail competition design and implementation into a single project. Isn't that the dilemma for generalists who, like I do, enjoy diving deep and eventually specializing in a few different verticals, right? How do you tie those verticals together? in a way that gives you energy and, God forbid, makes you money. I picked the name Direct Fire Consulting because it represents a type of still that applies a flame directly to the belly of the pot rather than using an internal heating element or a steam jacket. Not only is this a nod to the deep, centuries-long tradition of distillation that has spread across the entire globe, but it's also a nod to the way I try to work. Do you have a spirits brand or product or beverage program that needs a little help? Great. Let's light a fire under it. If you had the opportunity to listen to my 
keynote introduction speech for this year's American Distilling Institute Conference and Trade Show, which you can find on the ADI YouTube channel, you'll know that I think a lot about thermodynamics, energy, and the literal combustion that takes place to make the spirits we love. And to that end, there are three governing principles that I've selected to guide the work that I do with Direct Fire Consulting. Number one, fire ignites. Launching any product, cocktail program, or drinks brand is hard. Been there, done that, got the bruises. I'm here to offer the insights and guidance that will ignite the project and help kindle it into something meaningful. Number two, fire refines. Let's say you've got a cocktail program that's good but could be better. Maybe a product that's hanging in there but can't seem to differentiate itself from the pack enough to achieve the growth that you're hoping for. This is a great opportunity to bring me in to help you refine your approach, to cut out the stuff that's not working and replace it with new, more creative and effective strategies. And finally, number three, fire illuminates. This one is pretty simple. I've spent the last six or seven years learning how to get people's attention in the spirits and cocktail space. If you'd like to shine some light on your spirits brand or cocktail program so that more people notice you, well, come and see me. You'll be learning more about Direct Fire Consulting in drips and drabs over the next few months. Don't worry, it's not going to be overbearing, but if anything I've said thus far has you curious, please go ahead and reach out so that we can chat. I've already got one pretty large consulting project slated for 2024 with another few in the pipeline, so do let me know sooner than later if you think you might like to reserve some time on my calendar. Wrapping up this New Year, New Me episode, I wanted to share a clip of a recent conversation I recorded with my friend and colleague, Chava Pettiban. You may remember him from the interview we conducted when he was the co-host of the Agave Road Trip podcast, but he's now got a new podcast project called Heritage Mezcal, which you can download and subscribe to anywhere podcasts are found. Chava was kind enough to have me on his show as a guest recently to talk about all things bitter, sweet, and funky, and I've picked out a small portion of that long-form conversation as a little teaser in hopes that you might check out his program and add it to your regular listening diet. Chava, and I don't say this lightly, is one of the good guys. He's thinking and working so passionately in the agave space, and I find his approach to learning and exploration to be really, really engaging. So with that, I hope you enjoy this snippet from my recent appearance on Heritage Mezcal, and I raise to you a virtual glass and toast to our mutual good health and fortuitous blessings in this year, 2024. Cheers. Kind of good you, for us. You just made me go into like such labyrinths in my mind, but I'm gonna go to one that uh, it's not the one that I expect to go through, but uh, in some way I, I'm curious to to pick your brain on this one. But are you familiar? Uh, you won't be familiar with this, or if you are, I'll be very surprised. But in Mexico, if you go to a bar or you're outside in the street, in many places you can pay to be electroshocked. So there is a man with, uh, and Roy, please throw some of the sounds that may come with that man because it, it has a very audible marketing and he's like clapping these metal rods and will go and say, tokes, 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 like electroshocks, electroshocks, electroshocks. So the idea is you will gather as a group, hold hands. One person, one end will ga- uh, hold one rod. The other person, the other end will hold the other rod and you will go through these extreme 
displeasure to see who is the first person that that breaks the the circle, and then you can go into competitions. And he, I, I've gotten it so bad that my hands start going inwards. You know, like you have no control on your limbs anymore because electricity is just like. So I I guess I am saying all of this. Because we are talking about bitterness, not necessarily in the mate and the medicine world. We're talking about bitters in the party world. We're talking right. about in, in alcohol and having a good time in all of that. And when you're telling me all of this, of sort of the suffering, the slight suffering that comes with it, I think about this electroshock experience. And I don't know if it's almost like this flirting with this pleasure and pleasure that it's such a lovely experience. You know, it's, it's doing that, the backflip. Well, did you know that there's actually a term for this? Oh, no way. Oh, please. <laughs> the term for what you're describing is called benign masochism. Uh, and is it well known in the bitter context? <laughs> I don't know that it's well known, but I've actually, for my podcast, had conversations with flavor scientists about benign masochism no way so yes. like getting super like like in my family people eat so much spice that they will end up crying that is this the capsaicin is one of the primary areas of study for for this thing because i mean i also i grow super hot peppers so maybe maybe many aspects of like Mexican culture are a little bit foreign to me but at least the appreciation of very spicy flavors is one of them to which I'm, I'm very like that, that, that hits right where I'm at. So I grow super hot peppers. I make hot sauce. And so I was actually doing that interview as part of a, a series on the Bloody Mary and hot sauce. The capsaicin in the Bloody Mary is actually an integral part of that cocktail. So you're right. Uh, we do. And, and interestingly, again, another medicinal cocktail because the Bloody Mary was developed to be a hangover cure. So you Absolutely. are drinking Bloody Marys at brunch when you are already hung over. Let's say, I don't know, maybe you were at a wedding, like a three-day wedding or something like that. I, I, I just went through that, but I had my first Bloody Mary before doing anything. So Perfect. it was more like preemptive uh, medicine that I was going through. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But so, so you're completely right. And so, I mean, go dive down a, a rabbit hole on benign masochism. It's not the most developed area of study, but there are flavor mm -hmm. scientists who are working on it. And I think it's still an area of spirits and cocktail research that could do for developing because similarly, why do we put poisonous snakes into bottles of spirits and drink that stuff? I mean, I've never done it. I'm terrified oh, to do it. Oh, I have. But it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm terrified to do it. But if I were with you and you offered it to me, I would probably do it. I, I, I'm, I, have, I'm I have one of the best examples of that. I spent 45 minutes with a woman explaining me how she had to treat the, the, the snake properly to extract the flavors correctly out of it. So it's, it's, it's a science. It's, it's a very well developed thing in Mexico. Well, but I mean, sorry, I, I, I took a complete, uh, side to this, but yes, like I, but, I but also agree. Europe and Okinawa, like yes. there's like, it's all over this. And, and so the funny thing about what you're mentioning is that it seems like, and this, this, I think maybe ties us up a little bit is that, you know, question, question, why do we like bitter or aversive things or things that, mm -hmm. things that cause us pain? Well, it seems like this tradition has sprung up independently in all these different areas of the world that had no communication with one another when yes. these phenomena were arising, when these traditions were just getting off the ground. So 
there must be something to it. Maybe benign well, masochism is a little part, but maybe there's more. And even if you think the, well, I know your teenage history, but I do know mine very well. I remember precise parts of it. And I remember that sort of the first approaches to, to drinking were theirs. This, it was, this is going to hurt. This is going to taste awful. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, unfortunately, I had access to some of the possibly worst tequila out there as my first drinks. So it's not only that your palate is not developed, it's also you're drinking the most awful possible products that are out there. Somebody should have a program where your first shot should be super high quality stuff. And I think that will change the scenery of alcohol forever. Because mm. I, I just remember that it was, I mean, the way we talked about it, the way we referred to the experience was even this notion of acquired taste implies that it's going to hurt you for a while. <laughs> no, <it's laughs> that's a very good point. Well, I think, I think to me, what that makes me think of is that flavor is a fusion sense. We know that flavor is smell plus taste, but flavor doesn't happen as a sense until it gets integrated in the brain with memory, right? This is why we have the Madeleine effect. This is why, you know, we hear so much and hear and feel so much emotion when we talk about food and drink. And I think that, you know, the brain changes, the brain is plastic. So the acquired taste aspect of it, just like that first Negroni with it's not yeah. necessarily pleasant. I think that has something to do, not just with the way that we're hardwired as sensory beings with a tongue and a nose, but also with how we're hardwired as, as emotional and uh, I guess, memory having beings. And I think that's my second question, because I think like with cover, the I am not used to this flavor and I'm going to engage with it. And some of the explanations behind this can be benign masochism. But mm. then you cross that border. Turns out that as it happened to you and I, now we purposely seek Negronis for the pleasure of it. It doesn't hurt me at all. It's just, it's pure, sheer happiness. And once that happens, like what, what do you think it's now? What does bitter do then? Once you are in complete uh, communion with the bitterness uh, in the toolkit of making cocktails, then wh what is it important for? What, what, it's, what are the capacities that, that it has? Mm, I love that question. And I don't know that I would have had an answer to it, maybe even like a year and a half, two years ago. But one of the things I've been thinking a lot about recently is the notion of texture and depth and surface area. Mm. And, you know, so like when, when you think about that progression from having the Negroni be just this bitter medicinal, I can't, but like, I, I have to push myself to go in for another sip to something where, oops, I look down and my glass is empty. Oof, I need to go make another so Negroni. Dangerous. <laughs> right. Uh, I think what's happening maybe in a certain manner of speaking is that the bitterness, once you get accustomed to it is it goes from a taste that's front and center as a warning to an element of texture or depth or surface area in the drink that it's not part of the background, but it's part of the symphony. Right. Mm. And 
I, I'm I'm not as I'm not that good of a musician. I played drums in high school, so like I couldn't I couldn't even read the up and down notes. I could just pound on one thing. That's about as far as I got in my musical career. That, that, so that's maybe, better than mine. That's better maybe, than mine. <laughs> maybe the symphony uh, metaphor is, is not the perfect one, but I think you get what I'm saying, right? Yes. Well, I th- I think that even in the symphony context, I will claim that there are certain instruments that almost seem out of place in such a formal context, and I think a lot of the metals are for me always the example because if you mm. like Balkans music or if you like banda, like Mexican banda, you see a tuba, are you like if people are about to dance quebradita in front of here, you know, they're almost things that that break the well that 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 it, it's it's almost like hard to visualize or hard to imagine how made it there from their more humble beginnings. Right? Mm. Like a piano, a violin, a cello, I get it. Absolutely. But a tuba in the middle of it, or like a, a, a lot of the a trumpet. You know, every time I listen to a trumpet, it's it's almost like, what is this thing doing here? How were they able to amalgamate those intense sounds in the middle of all of this, like fragility and and uh, almost seriousness? There's a notion in storytelling called the suspension of disbelief, and it basically mm-hmm. refers to the fact that. If you're reading a story and the the writer of the story tells you something, it can either be you can either say like, yeah, okay, like this this maps on to what this what the rules of this world seem to say, or it can be a little bit like, ooh, maybe that detail kind of took me out of this. Like, I, I don't know if I can really believe that that do- that doesn't seem to map on with the rules and the just the, the data set that this story is mm. giving me. And that's when, when I'm, when you're teaching writing, you, you try and teach students to maintain their readers suspension of disbelief because it keeps them in the story. And so maybe what these metallic tastes and flavors are doing is something more like magical realism. You know, we're, we're talking yeah. about, we're talking about Latin America. Maybe we go straight to Jorge Luis Borges yes, and the, the, the magical <laughs> realism genre, right? And maybe, you know, like you're saying, maybe the tuba or the trumpet is not a native instrument to the genre of music that, that you're maybe most comfortable or at peace with, or that, that makes, for kind of like a a pleasant and, and innocuous flavor landscape or music landscape. But in the genre of magical realism, once you get into it, you can get really hooked on it and you can say, okay, you know what? I'm okay that the author is making this leap. I'm just going to follow and trust that it goes somewhere. And it takes a little bit of practice to get to that point, just like it takes practice to kind of develop a taste for bitter things. Well, and in that, like just taking the analogy to the extreme, what I find interesting is that I believe that if you want to use sweetness as a magical realism or acidity at that magical realism, I don't think it will work with the precision that bitterness does it Mm. because it's something that I don't think that usually in your day to day, you know, like you're eating, you're going to the office, you have breakfast. It's not something that pops pops up in a constant basis, right? Like sweetness, Mm. acidity, like I think they're always there. They're always with you. But if you are taking a splurge of your means, you are going out on a date, you want to have some special time. I think it's the moment where bitterness can like... You know, like, go under your door and scare the hell out of you. <laughs> yeah.
Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed and a little bit of number crunching New Year's speculating work by yours truly. This has been a production of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast, copyright 2000 and, wait for it, 24.